0: We're back to the Total Celebrity Show. On the Total Radio Network, you get to go to my website, Totaltutor.net for more information, Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, and Pinterest, Neil Haley. And when I talk about interviewing a Super Steeler, I, I, the memories I have of this guy, especially with the Super Steelers, anyone that was on the 1978 and 79 team, all are my favorite players of all time. And when I connected with him on LinkedIn, I said, i got to have him on the show. So I want to welcome the program uh Craig Colquitt from the super Pittsburgh Steelers 1978 and 79 Super Bowl
2: champ Craig how are you I'm doing great now and I appreciate this opportunity
0: well I'm excited to talk to you specifically enough because that team Craig think about it I mean for Pittsburgh fans they never forget any of those players for sure
2: yeah it's 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 really amazing I like you said I have the two rings from 13 and 14 and wherever I go I you know I'll Especially presentations, sales presentations, or whatever, or speaking engagement, or airport restaurants, people see the rings. It just opens the floodgate of conversation. It's a lot of fun.
0: It definitely opens up that floodgate anytime you're an NFL player, but especially when you have those rings and if they're Pittsburgh Steelers fans, they remember those glory days because that was was the time when really things were going well for Pittsburgh and, I mean, back-to-back championships and just uh, amazing teams and amazing stories on that team.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I, what I'm finding statistically, 95% of the sports fans out there love the Steelers, and the other 5% hate them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a lot of fun. Whether they hate it or not, it ends up being a good good conversation.
0: And and also. Craig, uh, uh, when we, we think about, specifically enough, uh, the career and everything, it, it's, it's interesting to know, again, people might not remember that, that your background's Tennessee. And so now you're back in Tennessee and stuff. So you specifically are back into, I guess, uh, Titan country and different things like that. Uh, how do they kind of uh, look at you, especially if they're Tennessee Titan fans of uh, a former Steeler?
2: Well, they you, at first they look at me out of the corner of their eye because they, they, they have blue blood down here and the Titan blood. So then they kind of accept me because every time Pittsburgh's come in here and played at the Titan Stadium, you know, somebody's writing a book, I can't remember the former player's name, it's uh, always a home field. Advantage or something like that, and, and 50% of the crowd here at the Titan Stadium is black and gold, so it's uh, they hate it. it. It's a it's a great atmosphere, though.
0: They can't stand when how, how many Steeler fans come out of the woodwork that now live in in Nashville that, and then you know they think they have the biggest advantage. The the Titans, you know, everyone's Titan fan, and then bam, Pittsburgh fans come out of the woodwork and you're like, well, what's happening? Even when the Titans are really good. There were tons of Steeler fans in that in that in that in that stadium, weren't there?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it, I, went, I went to a game a couple of years ago, and the tailgate was just—I couldn't believe it. The lady that put on the tailgate where I went, she operates the YMCA here. I mean, the Boys and Girls Club, and there were Steeler flags everywhere. It was just—I ended up being a celebrity at the uh, tailgate, so it was a—it was a lot of fun, but. The, the memories are great. I was going to be. that Dallas Cowboys told me the day before the draft that they were going to take me in the fifth round, and Pittsburgh took me in the third. And I was a little bit disappointed because everybody wanted to be a cowboy, exactly, I thought. Yeah. And then Joe Gordon, the PR director, calls me, and he says, First thing he says, what do you think about playing with people like Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, Mike Webster? And he goes through these names, and I hadn't even thought of it that way. And I got a little bit emotional. I said, good grief, I may have a ring out of this.
0: (laughs) So, Craig, one of the things we do a lot is we talk to NFL athletes about life after football. So when you decided to retire, did you have a career choice in mind, or were you pretty much going through your career uh, choice while playing still?
2: Yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation because I am putting together I've been talking about it for years, but now that I'm in the business of cleaning schools, and it's taken a long time. Number one, I never finished college, and I walked on at the University of Tennessee when I was 20 years old, two years out of school. And by the time my career was over, I had a kid and couldn't go back to school. But it was very, very difficult because I didn't have a degree, and nobody was – Nobody talked to me, even though I had that background. Now, you know, I'm almost a god, you know, uh, so they're interested in me. But I've been with the same company since 97, but from uh, 1985 until really 1995, I struggled. I had jobs, but it was real estate. It was just stuff that... You know, just about anybody could do, but the education really? part wow. really held me back.
0: And that you are a number, Craig, of how many NFL athletes, after their careers over, regardless of the money they're making now to then when you guys weren't making that much money, that they just can't transition. And I've talked to so many of them, and they talk about, you know, think about the head injuries and things like that. You didn't have to deal with that as much being a punter. But... uh it's, just, it's it's amazing to hear these stories and think, why doesn't the NFL do a better job of life after? And uh, athletes in general can't figure that out. So you had to struggle a lot, it sounds like, Craig. And I think that's going to be a great part of the book for sure is, you know, you're a super stealer. You got those two Super Bowl rings. Not many people can walk around saying, look at my two Super Bowl rings. But then when your career was over... You pretty much said, "What do I do next, and how could I yeah. do it?" And and I, and I just can't find something I'm passionate about. It sounds like.
2: Oh yeah, it is. It was a real struggle, and and probably the biggest mistake I made was going back to Knoxville, and and Jesus Christ Himself said, "A prophet is not accepted in his own hometown," and. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but, you know, we are treated different being former athletes. But I wasn't – I was just Craig Colquitt. You know, I was from Knoxville and University of Tennessee was everything. But whenever I went back to Pittsburgh, it was like, wow, here's Craig. He's got two rings. So I wish I'd stayed in Pittsburgh and taken advantage of probably one of the greatest towns In America to live in, if not the Greats. So, uh, I mean, I loved the Nashville area, but uh, Pittsburgh had a lot, a lot of opportunities I probably lost out on.
0: Well, absolutely. So, Craig, we talk about the struggles, but then also, I guess you are, I guess, another one of those amazing athletes that has produced NFL kids, uh, and that's that again, y- y- you and uh, and it's kind of funny the Tennessee connection. You know, you have your your sons that play in the NFL, just like uh, the Mannings, and it's a kind of a, a strange parallel in a way with punting versus quarterback, and uh, so that must be an amazing thought process when you're going through all these difficulties your kids took up what you enjoy and uh and excelled in it as well and and so that must have made you proud during those hard times
2: oh no question about it because i i was very careful not to live through them but with them and you know every parent has to learn that, especially if they're you know they they can perform at a high level and the boys were incredibly good at soccer. I mean from age five until uh high school, you know, they were being recruited in in soccer, but there was nobody gonna pay for it. Brown University wanted Dustin that set the Chiefs. But I had to pay for the first year and that was thirty eight thousand dollars just for the oh uh God. academic side and I, I said I said, Dustin, put on your soccer your football cleats, let's try something else. <laughs>
0: So so interesting. So he wasn't even looking at playing football then, it sounds like, Dustin. That's oh, just...
2: Dustin, he's it's, it's, it's an amazing story, really. He's left-footed, right-handed, runs a four-four 40 at the time, and he's 6'3", 178-pound left striker. I mean, he could run over people. He was really, really good. But there was no future. So we tried this, the football thing, and – right off the bat I noticed he's holding the football with his right hand and passing it over to his left foot to kick it. And I said, That's this is not gonna work. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to use your left hand and he says, Dad, I can't even pick my nose with my left hand <laughs> So he really his brother Britton came up with why don't you learn to juggle And he did and he paid the price and it's worked out really well for him so for both of them. So it's, um, I told them originally, I said, if this happens, you can go to any college in the country you want to, as long as it's Tennessee. <laughs>
0: that's that's <laughs> So that's amazing. So both of them, did they both go to Tennessee, Craig? They
2: they both did, and Dustin had to walk on and then got a scholarship, and uh, Britain was scholarship drive for that, uh, Tennessee.
0: Oh my gosh! Oh wow! So and then
2: oh, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't pay for college. I don't know what else. I was just going to have to take loans and everything. So it, it worked out real good.
0: So Craig, it seems like once the boys started to continue in their careers, your success off the field became better and better. Where you found your your niche and your job. You said you went through those struggles. Then they kept playing, and do you think them playing at a higher level and competing gave you that competitive edge to want to be successful? In life after football, as well, at one point, finally, kind of not maturing, but really looking at, I, I found a career for myself.
2: No question about it. And and what happened was my past was reignited. It became a good conversation, plus talking about the boys. So people were starting to listen to me, you know, in the public education world, which before, you know, they uh, it wasn't quite as melodramatic as it as as it became. So my career did take off and I did start to focus, but I was also able to be with them two or three times a week during practice for basically nine years. That's that's, so. Yeah. Oh, it was it was was great.
0: So you found that job and you found that opportunity. Now you want to write a book, and your your story definitely is amazing. And I don't think one segment of 14 minutes is not going to be enough for sure, Craig. And but I guess seeing your boys' success on the field and uh, now kind of tell us the job because you were going to tell me specifically what you're currently doing and how you're going out with different schools across the country and tell us about it.
2: Yeah, we're, the name of our company is GCA Services, and we're based in uh, our education division in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then the whole division is uh, based in Cleveland, Ohio. And we're actually owned now by Blackstone, out of New York. So we've got tremendous financials. Uh, we're right. We we're about to hit the billion dollar mark in our business from uh, eleven companies being put together from. Since 1997. So, fortunately, you know, I became a stock holder way back then and we sold a couple of times. But what has, what's transpired is we are, we be, we've become allies with K 12 and higher education, taking care of their facilities, removing that element from the educators so they can focus on what they do, which is education.
0: That's that's great because, I mean, I think still you need you guys to go after the Catholic schools. When you talk about the Catholic schools and when I was a school teacher, Craig, and how I had to clean my own room and that we did have maintenance, but it wasn't really taking care of things in the way that makes it so we could focus on our our jobs. So I think it's a fantastic thing, and a lot of schools are doing it. But what's the difference with your your company compared to others that, you know, hire sometimes just a public person right down the road to, to, to take care of the school?
2: Well it's it's there's really the there's a there's really no transition. We like to use the word seamless because we're hiring their employees if they back, pass background checks. So it, there's there's no change. They get the same service, uh actually usually much better service, but it takes the weight away from the teacher, away from the principal, away from the superintendent so they can focus on education, and not be concerned whether a, a, a custodian is going to be out, or uh, you know, just the day-to-day life that people go through, because we're dealing with people, you know. So we 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 deal with that element, and we bring in a buying power being as large as we are that we can save districts anywhere from ten to twenty-five percent and provide the same service. That's so,
0: yeah, that's important for sure.
2: That's, yeah, we've got Metro Nashville Schools uh, in Nashville. They have 144 buildings, and we we're saving them over six million dollars a year. So it's and we've been in there four years. So that's 24 million dollars is real money.
0: Exactly, Craig. All right, Craig. Where, do you have a place where we can find information on the company, but also any information on you as well?
2: Uh, I don't have a website. That's coming. You know, when I when I'm ready to. Put that thing out there, because I also have paintings. I'm an artist. Uh, I like to call myself an artist. So I'm going to put that together. That's coming, but uh, I'll I'll let you know if that transpires. I'm actually looking for an editor now. But uh, the company is GCAServices.com.
0: All right, well, fantastic, Craig. Good talking to you. Uh, we'll stay in touch via LinkedIn and uh, update me. And when you when that book's out, if you need help in social media, I'm the man you need to call to help uh, get that book out there through the World Wide web. So good talking to you.
2: You are the man. And are you related to Todd and Nick Haley? No,
0: I wish I was, and, I, and I'd be going to all the Steelers games. No, I'm not. So the different. Handling. Well,
2: Todd Todd Haley was my ball boy at the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, and his dad was the scout that drafted him. Huh,
0: so, uh, that's an interesting story for sure. We can, uh, yeah, yeah,
2: cool. He, he was Dustin's coach at Kansas City Chiefs, so it was interesting when we got together. Uh, I appreciate you very much.
0: All right, take care, Craig. Thanks. Okay, take bye-bye. Care. All right, you're listening to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
3: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strategic Wealth Strategies Podcast with our host, Alan Porter. Alan, what's going on, man? How are you?
4: Just another beautiful day here in North Carolina.
3: All right. Fantastic. And what is our topic for today?
4: Well, are you prepared for possible market collapse? Because it's coming.
3: Okay. So we've been talking about this and I think it's perfect timing, right? With Israel and everything that this is going to happen because again, the 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 market's not going to be confident with wars happening, right? With no real plan of of an economy increase. But let's go into Absolutely. what we yeah.
4: got. We got one going in, in Ukraine. We got the other one going in Israel, and, and this gives the perfect opportunity to get China to go to Taiwan.
3: Right, and then what do you do? And we don't, ha- and we cut our military. So go figure. Uh so I just read, Alan, that the S and P five hundred is is up over eighteen percent. The Nasdaq is at. Forty percent in twenty twenty three. The market's doing great.
4: Yeah, but you need to understand the rest of the story, Neil. The lines they not want don't want you to question, and the ones your advisor's not talking to you about.
3: What do you mean? I so I mean I mean, if I would have read this headline, I'd say, Wow, this is the time to play the market.
4: Well, it didn't tell you about the 19% it lost the year before, but listen to this. I got I read this. The M2 money supply contraction or decline of 5.8% annualized through July is at recession, depression levels. Now M2 is the benchmark for how much cash and easily convertible assets are circling through our country. And the contraction of this level means massive liquidity issues, not only for us, but for US banks, the government, and really anybody, since we're in a consumption-based economy. And not having liquidity to keep the system running means real economic pain is coming.
3: That's not what you're hearing from Wall Street. We're all being fed a selective good economic statistics while they ignore and avoid the trouble ones they can't explain away, right?
4: Well absolutely. But the thing is we're we're near the a collapsing economy and you better be prepared for it. There's nothing average or, or anything else about what's going on right now.
3: That's concerning me. What can we do?
4: Well, you need to make sure you have a financial plan. You've got to have a plan. Uh, you know, did you, did you ever watch that movie, The Big Short?
3: No, I have not. I have to see it, I'm sure. Oh,
4: you've got to watch it because it's it tells about the market collapse in 2008. And that's exactly what's what's going on right now. But people need to have a plan to protect themselves from the risk in retirement. Wow. Uh,
3: Alan, I've heard you, you say many times to think outside the box. What do you mean?
4: Well, Neil, I, I, I said, I've said this for years. I said people need to think outside the box of conventional financial planning because, you know, we've listened, we listened to this propaganda from Wall Street for years, the 60-40 stock split. that it hasn't worked in years, it's still not working. And people need to have a to think outside the box of conventional financial planning uh, to, to have secure income and to take the risk out of retirement.
3: This uh... This, this, the only guarantee that the stock portfolio will give you is that you are guaranteed that you're you're going to lose money when the market goes down. Is that correct?
4: Yeah. Well, plus the fees you're paying for that uh, financial advisor, whether you make money or not. But people need to understand when I say think outside the box. Has your financial advisor ever told you about the risk in retirement? Now, I work with hundreds of people, and every time I ask them that question, they tell me no. What do you mean, Alan? I said, sequence of returns risk, which will decimate your ret- retirement. Running out of money before you run out of life. The number one fear in retirement. Tax and government risk. That's absolutely huge. When you can shield yourself from tax risk, that's going to be anywhere from 30 to 70% more money for you. The list um, goes on and on.
3: Yeah, totally. Alan, people are concerned about taxes going up. What are your thoughts on this?
4: Well. Taxes are going to go up. Uh, I don't care what people think. Well, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket. Well, there's a congressional budget office report put out last fall on a $31 trillion deficit that if we do not raise taxes overall by 66% by 2030, we can't even pay the debt on our national, we can't even pay the interest on our national debt, the country will will, uh, go bankrupt. And now, right now, we're at a thirty-two point nine trillion dollar deficit, almost two trillion dollars more than what we were a year ago. And we've got all this—I call it a clown show—going on in Washington. They can't agree on anything, and the American people are suffering because of it. They can't even—they can't even elect the Speaker of the House. It's unbelievable. But they're going to take their vacations. I understood there's, they, they're supposed to take off today for. I don't know, leave of absence or something. But they better start taking care of the American people. It's, it's crazy, Neil.
3: And when you talk about the specifically raising taxes and all this stuff, I, I just, I, I just, I, I scratch my head to understand if we raise taxes, what's going to happen to our economy?
4: Well, the thing is, we raise taxes. That means people are not going to have the money to spend. No. We're in a consumption-based economy. We've got capitalization. But the thing is, You know, people don't understand about fees or anything else. You know, a fee in a 401k, and the majority of the people have a 401k out there because they've been, I don't know, um, talking to Wall Street, listen to what Wall Street says. But like I said, the 60-40 document doesn't work. And a 1% fee in a 401k now will reduce your income by one third. And the average fee in a 401k is 2.99%. People are going to have less than half of their money when they go to retire. And of course, that's not... That's not guaranteed, and that stock portfolio cannot guarantee you of any risk in retirement. And In fact, it exasperates it. It makes all risk, risk more.
3: Wow. And what can people do? So uh, basically, Alan, if people contact you today, you have a specific team. Explain that team that you have. That really helps, not just you're going to set them up in specific ways. You have a team of professionals around you so you can give the best financial advice possible for people.
4: Exactly right, you now, because I treat my business just like a doctor. Now, I ask question after question. I expect those questions answered because if they're not answered and I come up with some feasibility study or some financial plan for them, it would be malpractice on my part. But I have a team of people I work with. Now, I don't do stocks and bonds because I'm not a registered investment advisor anymore. I have a, a conflict of interest when it comes to charging people a fee, whether they make money or not. But I collaborate with top CPAs, tax-specific attorneys, and other specialists in their fields, and we 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 collaborate together to come up with financial plans uh, or financial solutions for people's problems. You know, I ask this question of uh, especially affluent clients. Uh, they say, "Well, and my my financial planner, my CPA, they always advise me on my tax and and." Uh, financial advice i said well, when's the last time they ever give you any proactive advice on taxes they always come back slim to never i said that's because the cpa wants the correct numbers for your tax return the financial planner wants to find the best financial plan for you and your attorney is concerned about legal documents and i said i'm not here to replace anybody's advisor but i want to work with them as a team to give you the, the client the best possible scenario i said and i believe them on one thing neil i said you may have the greatest advisors in the world but it's what they don't know that's going to end up costing you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and undue taxes, fees, and lost opportunity cost. And almost every one of them agrees with me. Now I, I tell you, you Neil, know, I, I go through this time and time again with people, and people have never heard of any of this stuff. I just had a guy yesterday saw one of my television spots on uh, Consumer News Network, and he said, "Alan, what you're telling me, I've never heard of." I said, well, we'll let's do a Zoom conference. If anybody out there wants to know more about what I do, give me a call at 910-551-1046 or email me at strategicwealth0 at gmail.com. I'm here to help people. I'm here to educate people. I hope people call me.
3: Alan, it's such great information. And what you bring to the table is just something that I, I just, no one talks about. And this is the resource you bring because this is something that's not just about a job for you. This is a lifestyle for you, right? To help that's us,
4: Absolutely. I'm very, very passionate about what I do because, you know, I was a black ops instructor pilot in the Army and that's what I did. I taught people, I educated people. And I'm doing the same thing now. I'm very passionate about it because, you know, I've told you what happened to my family, my tragic uh, things that happened to my family. And that's the reason I'm doing what I do now. But it's all about education and everything I tell people should be taught in high school, but it's not. And like I said before, I have doctors with PhD degree in accounting and finance, and they have no idea what I'm talking about.
3: Well, Alan, we appreciate it. Again, another great podcast. And again, people can call you at 910-551-1046 or email you at strategicwealth, the number zero at gmail.com. Appreciate it, Alan.
4: All right. Wilson, well, listen, you have a great day.
3: All right. That was the Strategic Wealth Strategies podcast. Guys, take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and I'm excited to welcome to the program, Tracy Poisner of Undeletable Dad. Tracy, how are you? And you know what we're going to talk about today? Divorced dads and dating. Really quick yeah. topic, but it's not very easy. The dating world is a challenge, especially the dating app world. So what are your thoughts and kind of seeing what's happening, talking to lots of divorced dads?
5: Yeah, well, as you've been discovering yourself, right? The it's not so much about the dating world with regard to how do you meet people or what do you do on an app but like where is your head where's your energy um in terms of connecting with a new person because when you've been like raked over the coals by a divorce that is doing something to your self-esteem to your ego to your manhood and What I what I was just talking to you a a moment ago about is that, you know, you are creating your reality in every moment. This is the truth. okay? And I mean, that might sound all new agey, but you're creating your reality. And if you know it and if you are in a really sovereign mindset about yourself, that where you feel and you know that you are in command of your world. Then you can create intentionally what you want. But if you don't know that you're creating your world, it's the least confident part of you that's running the show. And so that that least confident area of your mind is the one who's out looking for another woman who is in who is necess- necessarily going to reinforce the belief that you have about yourself. So it's so, so important to be good with yourself before you go out looking for someone else.
3: So you have to build some self-reflection, self-really understand what you're looking for and what you want and desire before you go out and date, it sounds like.
5: uh, What I mean is that you have to know your own worth before you go out and date someone. I had this conversation with someone who said, well, you know, I'm on a dating app now. And I figure like, I'm about, you know, an eight out of 10. And so if I can score a nine out of 10, I'll be doing really well. I said, no, you have it wrong. If you don't know that you're a 10, don't go on a dating app. You are a 10. And you're out there looking for another 10 who knows that they're a 10. That's the only match that can ever work. Otherwise, you're going to find someone who is always going to, You're going to think that they're above you in some way and you're going to adapt your behavior. And like, that's probably what you were doing in your previous marriage to some extent, or it's what someone was doing to you, making you feel less than what you really are. You don't want that again. So you have to work on yourself until you know without any shadow of a doubt that you are a 10 and you just need to find another person who knows that about you. And who also thinks that they're a ten, and then you're a good match.
3: So, how would you self reflect? What kind of self, what types of work should somebody do? And then you could talk a little bit about what you're doing to help divorced dads after that.
5: In the coaching that I do, I use a process called Shadow Alchemy, where we uh, we look for those little voices in the back of your head that are bringing you down—that the negative beliefs, uh, the limiting beliefs, the negative self talk. You, you can't normally hear it because it just sounds like your own voice talking to you. It sounds real. But all of the self-talk that we do is negative. It's it's all an illusion. You don't have a voice in your head that's going, you go, guy, that was fantastic. Man, you're the greatest, right? We don't talk to ourselves that way, It like unconsciously. So you have to know that all of your self-talk is negative and it's it's lies and illusions. And you have to start to catch yourself doing it and saying, okay, that's some BS. That's not true what I'm telling myself right now. And asking those questions, "Is is this really true? Like, is this really true what I'm saying to myself now? That's kind of the first step.
3: So you're listening to your subconscious lots of the time. So that when you're out of the conscious into the subconscious, that the negative thoughts are not coming in your brain, especially in the dating world about, am I really ready for this? Am I looking for the right person or am I looking at all the self negativity that I've dealt in my relationships and bringing that to the table in the next relationship when I'm having these conversations with women?
5: Yeah. What you don't want to be saying is, is this the best that I can do? Should I be accepting this person because I'm not going to, I'm not going to find someone better. This is the best I can do. That's the mistake because they're that's never a thing. Like the there is a perfect person for you. If you accept that nothing but the best will do nothing but a perfect match will do. And that doesn't mean that they have to have this kind of body or that kind of hair or making this kind of money or whatever, right? It's it's about knowing what your value is, and insisting on being valued in that way by by the person in front of you, and valuing them at That's their same. highest level as well, right?
3: And you're so, not; it doesn't work. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of know it's a match? You just you feel it. I mean, especially working with lots of divorce, so this is the biggest thing I think that so many people are talking about today. How do you know it's a match, especially on the online dating world?
5: I am not a dating coach, so That's this right. is not okay. this is not my wheelhouse. But the thing that I see too many dads doing is settling for someone based on them being good enough and also based on filling their child care needs. Because when oh, you're a divorced no. dad and you have some custody issues, you need somebody who's going to be at your house after school. You need somebody for those weekends when you're working or those overnight shifts or whatever. And there's a huge um, temptation to settle dating-wise for somebody who checks off those boxes of that. My kids like them and they like my kids and this is going to like save me a ton of hassle. There's going to be somebody to drive to soccer practice. Oh
3: gosh. Yeah.
5: Yeah. But I don't think that anybody thinks that consciously, but it would be just like moving in together too soon because you're going to save a whole rent. Right. And it seems to make so much sense. Like everybody's going to pay half the living expenses and it feels like a win-win. So You kind of jump into a living together situation sooner than maybe you otherwise would because there's so much cash on the line.
3: That's tough because I've heard these stories and the rebounds. I hear, I listen. I guess because I'm a talk show host. When I'm on dates, I get, I, I learn so much information. I could write a book already on it. Best place. (laughs) and everyone that's dating me now is going to see this interview good i'm sorry guys i'm sorry this is just again it's called my youtube channel i'm just i'm not going to bring up any of the stories but i'm just Uh giving you that point women men need to, to understand that they're looking they have to and this is a big thing if i talk to a woman they don't know what they're looking for and they don't know what they're looking for in a man they're not ready to date right bottom line Bottom line, best place to find information is a couple places, right, Tracy? If you're going to talk about the other business now, too.
5: Sure. Um, undeletabledad.com is where you can find me. And uh, pretty soon, I'll have Bachfloweralchemy.com up and running.
3: All right. We appreciate it, Tracy. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome to work Mike Velarde. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you?
6: Hey, good, Neil. How are you?
3: Fantastic. Uh, We have an amazing guest today. Tell us who our guest is.
6: Dan Francis. Welcome back to the show, Dan. We've been supporting him since he first ran for Congress two years ago. We continue to support him, and we'd love to see him uh, knock Lois Frankel out of the box and add to a Republican majority. Dan, thanks for coming on.
1: Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Neil. Thank you for having me back. Appreciate uh, your support. And this is the year we're going to knock her out of the box and put me into Congress.
3: So you got closer and closer. So tell that story, right? Because I remember, you know, uh, it's been a while, but then you finally got the opportunity to come close to Lois Frankel. But you think now with what's happening now, it's going to be a lot easier.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, two years ago when I first ran, a lot of people tried to to discourage me. They said she's unbeatable, she's an institution, it's a safe seat, and so on. Well, what do you know? By the end of the campaign, I got to 45% of the vote against her, which is by far way better than any candidate had done before. So a lot of those people who were discouraging me before have told me, nope, you got to go for it, and this year you can beat her. Just so many things are changing you know, for, for me personally, I'm now I now have good name recognition in the district and also now I'm an experienced candidate because it was quite a learning curve. But also things are changing in the district. We're signing up so many more Republicans than Democrats. And on top of that, I run into more and more Democrats every day that have Democrat buyer remorse that they didn't have two years ago. So those are some of the key things that make me confident this is the year that we're going to flip the seat red.
3: Okay. And what do you learn? And specifically, I think now with what's happening, everyone is going to have to back Biden and uh, President Biden as they support him. And that's going to really hurt in this next next phase, right? Because of all the different things that happened with the Democratic Party in the last three years in office as a, nationally, that there's no way that uh, Lois Frankel can win with what's currently what the Democrats are bringing to the table.
1: Well, you know, absolutely. I mean, people just have to go to the gas pump and we're getting back to five dollar gasoline again. And uh, that really hurts everybody. I mean, it, total inflation is up almost 20 percent since Biden took office. But I think that number really understates the impact for working class people. Because for working class people, a great proportion of their income goes to things like gasoline and food. And those in, in many cases are up 20 and 30 percent but also the elderly. Did you know that since Biden took office, more than a million elderly people have fallen below the poverty line? And that's not because they've done anything wrong. It's because of inflation. They are literally killing us with inflation. So the economy is just one of many ways that they're doing real damage to this country. But then there's the border. We could talk about that one for half an hour. But every day we leave our borders unsecured. We do permanent damage to our country. And now people are starting to see it. Two years ago, people scoffed at the idea of securing our borders. They thought it was a nice humanitarian thing. Now they're starting to see what we knew what was going to come, which is our country being overwhelmed and, and our resources being depleted because of that. And not to mention all the crime, human trafficking, the terrorists, the drugs, and everything else that keeps coming across our border.
3: Yeah, so think about what's happening, and then I'm going to have Mike have a question. Let's just talk about the latest stuff with our, again, our security, especially with the war in Israel now, that we, when President Trump was president, there was a Middle East accord, that there was peace in the Middle East for the first time, I think ever. (laughs) And now we're in absolutely wars everywhere. I mean, if anyone could stand, it's going to really hurt the Democrats running now, right? Uh, to to back what the Democratic Party has done in the last three years to anything.
1: Well, three years ago, we had world peace and domestic prosperity. We had gasoline less than two dollars a gallon, and uh, we had uh, record numbers of minority people uh, coming out of the poverty and and having uh, income increases so so it was a real win win what we were getting under the previous administration's economy and uh, that's what we i know we can get this next time and and of course then there's the world world issues uh, i'm confident there wouldn't be this problem in the middle east or in, or in ukraine or afghanistan and all these other places uh, if we had Trump in the White House, I mean, he, he he pointed it out. He's the first president in, what, 70 years that didn't have any wars while he was in office. Yet before he was elected, everyone said, oh, that guy in his mouth, he's going to say something stupid and get us into a war. Well, what do you know? He's the one guy that didn't do that.
3: All right, Mike, let's go to questions. Your thoughts when I was talking about some of these things, Mike.
6: Well, first of all, I want to say that when Dan ran last time, he got two of every three votes of people that actually went into the voting booth and voted. He, uh, you know, he won the uh, the day, uh, you know, the day of the voting. He also won the early voting. The only thing he lost was mail-in ballots because she had 80,000 of them. And they changed the rules for mail-in ballots. So I really do think Dan is going to be able to pull off a miracle and flip that seat because that's where the fraud is, in the mail-in ballots. I mean, in, in in Georgia, the last 500,000 votes that came in, all but 3,600 were for Biden. Mm-hmm. Now, how is that statistically possible? Tell me.
1: Well, it, it's not. And you're right. Even Jimmy Carter himself said that mail-in ballots were a formula for fraud, and that's why many countries throughout the world have have outlawed them. And that's something we should head toward ourselves. And I, I'm looking forward to the day that that happens. But to get back to my race you are right. When live people showing a photo ID walked in and voted, I, I beat Lois Frankel by 24,000. The problem is mail-in ballots. She beat me by 50,000. And uh, and now the good news, like you've said, that the rules are getting stricter about mail-in ballots. We were still under COVID rules last year where anyone who had previously gotten one had it mailed out. Now you have to affirmatively request one. That's That by itself is going to help me quite a bit because uh the numbers for me it was less than 25 percent so so she has a much bigger base to make up from that and that's you would add that to all the reasons i gave you earlier as to why i have optimism uh that this is the year we're going to flip this seat red
3: not okay so if is mail-in the eliminated in florida no yes or
1: no No, no, and that's one of my, you know, great disappointments with the current uh, legislature and and, and governor of the state. Uh, This was the year they had the opportunity to totally clean house with all the bad problems we're seeing with uh, voting. And one of the few things we did do was uh, make it a little bit tougher to get a mail-in ballot. Now, I understand that there are some legislators who realize maybe they could do more. And in the next session, which should happen before the year is out, They might make changes. I'm just hoping they can make enough changes, you know, quick enough to help us next year.
3: So I was thinking in this, Dan, why is it that if we wanted to get our social security statement, we have to go through a facial recognition, show our ID, do all these different things. Why don't we make that our election system the same thing? That you to if you're going to want to vote online, if you're going to want to vote somewhere else, you're going to have to go through a lot of measurements to be able to do it. That's monitored. Why don't they do that for our voting system where you have to go through all these hoops, all these different things to be able to vote? I mean, to be able to access specific things in the government. But yet when it comes to elections, you don't even, you just don't even have to show an ID. Well,
1: you get on an airplane without an ID. You can't go to a concert and pick up your tickets without a photo ID. And, and you know, the, the argument they make is that voting is a constitutional right and there shouldn't be impediments toward it. And I say, okay, I, I understand that. But at the same time, it's my constitutional right that my vote doesn't get canceled out by someone who's voting illegally. And so, you know, therefore, people should have some 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 uh, requirement to prove who they are. I mean, I want to have secure elections. And the only way we're going to have that is with photo ID, which, by the way, is supported by something like 90 percent of Americans. So, so it's not like this is a radical idea. This is actually a very mainstream idea with majority support, even among Democrats. So it just puzzles me why they fight that in other parts of the country. In Florida, they do require photo ID. The problems with the mail-in ballots, it's you know, not not as checked as as carefully. That's the problem.
6: Well, you got to realize you'd be taken away from the rights of the Civil War veterans, the World War One veterans, all those people that passed away and died. They won't have the right to vote, and it's apps And the Democrats believe it's absolutely wrong if you don't have those voices.
1: Exactly. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, every now and then I'll look at voting records for a street. I'll just I'll show you how to find this if you want to see it. Just look up the street you live on. You could see literally how everyone on the street is elected, is is, is registered. And it's amazing how many 101, hundred and one, hundred and three, hundred and four year old people I still see on on the voting records, and they right. can't, yeah exactly. Now I, I, I wouldn't shock me at all if they still vote right. <laughs> Even right. If they're really there, and and it uh, look I, I've been a big big uh, proponent of election security for 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 a very long time, and uh, you know I'm proud to say in the last election I was endorsed by Seth Keschel, who's one of the leaders in the election integrity movement. You know he has a ten point plan for secure elections that uh, was plug and play because I was searching for my own message. And I said, you know what? I don't need to find my own message. This, This guy has a perfect one. And, it, you know, it includes things like making Election Day a, a holiday, having only one election day, not an election season. Hand-counted mail-in ballots in small precincts uh, with thorough checks of voter rolls and severe penalties for people who violate these rules. I think I, I don't know if I hit all 10 in that sentence, but that but that's the basic. Those are the basic tenets.
3: Why well, I would I would do is I would make every I would give the ability. The government has to make an ID for every citizen in the United States that votes. That once you get your voter registration card, you also get you get a photo ID with that registration card and that that picture is on your registration card with your picture. That is it. And if you're going to do voter, uh, you know, do mail in balloting, then it should be no longer mail in it should be electronic where they have to scan your ID when you're getting ready to vote. That would kind of eliminate a lot of the different things from people wanting to come in versus not come in because you're gonna to have to scan it we can do so many different systems it could be broken but it could be less than how archaic our system is right now for what we can do and, and so many other things do you think facebook if they're concerned it's a fraud is going to say okay go ahead and mail in some information and i'll trust that you should still have a facebook account i know i
1: know look i think we're on the same page on this particular issue yeah. and we could fix this problem overnight if we if we really wanted to. I mean, we want to, but enough Democrats don't want to because clearly I think they know something and that's why they're resisting it. You know, they hide behind uh, all kinds of things. They say you're racist if you ask for a photo ID and so on. But you know what? When they made the rules stricter in Georgia, you didn't have reduced turnout among minority voters. You had increased turnout. So so d- don't even go there anymore by saying it's racist to ask for a photo ID. But again in in Florida you have to show one when you when when you vote in person uh and I'd like the rules to be stricter about you know qualifying people for mail in ballots but at least there there is some sort of I there's some sort of photo ID I think you do have to provide.
3: All right. Go ahead Michael right.
6: next one. Well I mean the other side doesn't want to play by the rules cuz if they played by the rules they wouldn't win and it's about they'd rather rule over they'd rather destroy the city and rule over the ashes than lose the election.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, they can't win on the truth. That's why they that's why they want to win, you know, doing all kinds of nefarious means. But also when it comes to messaging, you know, they don't want to talk about the economy. They don't want to talk about the border. They still pretend by economics doing something good for our country. They they say the borders are more secure than ever before. In fact, didn't the press secretary just say that, double down on that again within the last week or two, that we have the most secure borders ever in history? No, we have the worst borders. And it's overwhelming our country. I mean, take a look at New York City. You know, the mayor of New York says 110,000 immigrants are going to overwhelm and destroy the city. And I said, wait a minute, that's a city of 8 million people. So if you do the math, I believe that's 1.34% increase in the city they say is going to destroy their city. But look at nationwide. We think at least 7 million people have come across the border uh, since Biden took office. So in a country of 300 million people, that's more than 2%. So, so if you take New York's example and apply it to the rest of the country, we're in deep trouble. It's going to overwhelm us. And we've got to
6: put a stop to it.
3: And, and well, if we, go,
1: go, Mike.
6: No, today is National Jihad Day. You know that.
1: <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So far, hopefully, I don't, haven't heard of anything bad happening.
3: Yeah. What I mean, yeah. Are you concerned about Israel? Let's just go Mike first and then go to Dan. Are you concerned about Israel? Do you think it's going to become really really bad?
6: Yeah, of course it is. I mean, this is this is already a nightmare. I mean, they, uh, Israel is going to try and take back the Gaza strip and wipe out Hamas. After what Hamas did, I mean, they were they would be heading babies. Who does that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, these are horrendous war crimes. I mean, it this is I mean, this, this, I, I can't call it anything short of that. And the, the, the scary thing is the number of people worldwide, including in our country, who are blaming the victims of the war crimes. I've never heard in history of victims of war crimes but themselves being blamed for. So this is just horrible. But yes, Israel is, is it's gonna be a mess. Here. It's not something they're gonna resolve in a seven day war, no. You know, Hamas is deeply dug in, supposedly 300 miles of tunnels and uh, it's going to be hard to find everybody. You know, on top of that, they they're not they don't walk around in uniform. They're all blending in. So I've heard the leaders are all under tunnel or outside the country and uh, uh, the soldiers are you know, blending in with the civilians. This could take <laughs> I don't want to venture a guess on how long it's going to take, but it's going to take a long time of literally house to house fighting to find all these people and eliminate the problem.
3: Now, so here's Dan, what's going what could currently happen that could change the Democratic Party's game plan about war, about specific things, about what's happening. If the Jewish uh American citizens stop backing the Democratic Party, Dan, could you imagine what could happen? I mean, everywhere, politically and everything, and the party could be flipped upside down.
1: Oh yeah, I mean the, the the number I heard just the other day is that seventy four percent of Jewish voters voted for Biden. Yeah right. they're, they're literally voting voting for and facilitating their own demise because the <laughs> Democratic Party does not does not really have their backs, not at all. And, uh, and they're
3: that, powerful too. They will they will bull, pull a huge movement, Dan, that could just blow up in the democratic Democrats' face. This whole and,
1: thing. Absolutely. But but, you know, clearly that could be one of the one of many reasons why the Biden administration actually is, is for the most part, saying all the right things about this attack uh, by Hamas. You know, they're condemning it. They're they're you know, sending aircraft carriers in to be in the region. So so they are so far, you know, doing and saying all the right things. Uh, so, but, you know, it's other groups that are not doing enough or, or frankly, uh, who, who's. Statements about this are totally appalling, like those 31 student groups at Harvard, for example.
6: Well, you got to realize something else. The the Democrats are losing the black vote now. And the reason they're losing the black vote is the blacks are losing their resources because of the migrants. So in Chicago, they're losing their welfare money. So there's going to be a turn against the Democratic Party. That's why they need to make sure those World War I veterans, the Civil War veterans, continue to vote for them by mail because they're not getting support of anybody. Joe Biden has single handedly doubled the poor population in this country in three years. Well, he, well yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, are you going to vote for the guy that made you poor when you weren't before?
3: They're going to remove him, Mike, before it comes time. They're going to, unless Biden has that much power, he doesn't want to be removed they're going to remove him because th- this is bad. This is, if this is bad business for the democratic party. They're going to make a change. They did it with, they literally did it at times when they saw that they were too far left. So they got all these conservative Democrats to run so that they could win certain seats that they weren't able to win. So they are always able to come up with what their biggest bottom line of what they do is, is for the, the power and money, Dan, think about it they, they they always come up with a game plan so I don't think they're going to allow this to continue to go down this route
4: well, well you
1: know, I, I hope you're right I mean you're right four years ago Bernie Sanders looked like he was running away with it but a decision was made that he could never win in the general uh we have to get behind you know moderate Joe and portray him as moderate Joe and uh you know that and he and he won uh, I think this time around it's not going to be so easy because he's clearly not going to step aside voluntarily. He doesn't he's walk- not,
3: because he doesn't. that's the thing. They're he finding doesn't. out how corrupt he is, and he's not.
1: He's not going to step aside, if for no reason other than while he's in the White House, he could protect his family. You know, once he's gone, he could protect them, although truthfully, he, he might on his last day before he walks out the door, pardon all of them. Uh, but but while he's, uh, which is uh, I'm sure will happen. Uh, if he if he doesn't uh, get reelected, but but uh, but while he's in the White House, you know he could protect everyone much better. Because people say, how can his wife let this guy go out there on TV? Look, he's such an embarrassment. He's he's obviously not well. Why why do they allow? And the answer is, they I think they probably think they have to keep him there to you know protect everybody. But look, and, and another thing, I think whoever's really pulling the strings, they kind of want him too because they can control him. I'm not so convinced they could control a Gavin Newsom, for example. At least not as well as uh, they've got uh, Joe Biden under their control. So, uh, it, it, so, what's my prediction? My prediction: actually, is they stay with him, believe it or not, oh. because because he's the proven formula. In spite, look, in spite of everything that's gone bad, he's been there, proven formula for three years. And uh, their view is they just got to keep him propped up another what, thirteen months, and and then after that, doesn't matter what you know how bad he gets. So my prediction is they're going to stay with him, actually. But but I'm not 90 percent on that. I'm 55-45 that they're going to stay with him. What do, you guys I, I, what do you guys think? Oh, I know you're the interviewers, but what do you guys think?
6: No, I, I think RFK just sunk his ship by going independent because he was pulling 20 percent of the Democratic vote. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that Biden could win without that 20 mm-hmm. you
1: know, percent. Yeah, I think he. I think he'll pull more from Biden than from Trump, truthfully. I mean, yeah. I understand, you know, he has a lot of the views that uh, RFK I'm talking about, has a lot of the views that Trump supporters like, like he's anti-vax and he's, you know, in favor of secure borders. But other than that, he's a big time classic liberal. And right. I think ultimately, people will, you know, become dissatisfied with that and and, and not ball to him, uh, which which is why, on the other hand, uh, I do think uh, that, uh, he, you know, he'll peel off more Democrat votes because it's becoming pretty darn obvious the vaccines don't work. And, and I think there's going to be more dissatisfaction with those. And, you know, ditto for the border. Uh, even even more than just a few months ago, we're, we're seeing stuff on TV you didn't see. And, and I think that's changed. That's going to continue to change public opinion. So that's why I think RFK will pull more votes from buying them from Trump.
3: Okay, I, why why did he become an independent? Do you think it's the Democrats pushed him, saying you you we're not going we're going to do something to you if you yeah
6: because they would they wouldn't let him debate they was we're going to have no debates they were not going to give him any type of chance against Joe Biden at all none zero.
3: So there could yeah. be a there could be three debate, but I thought that already it's decided that Biden and Trump can't debate. Isn't that true?
1: Well, Biden absolutely does not want to debate. Uh, and I agree. The reason he left is because they weren't giving him the time of day. Uh, I can understand why he bolted and Biden isn't going to want to debate. If I were his advisors, I would say, try to de- avoid it at all costs. Uh, right. And I'm sure there won't be debates.
3: All right. So, Dan, what do you need to do? To What what are you going to do to defeat Loyal, Lois Frankel without giving it away? Meaning what what? Terrible policies have, has she done in Florida that you're saying? Okay, this is why it's time for her to go.
1: So, so there's really two types of issues. There was the broader issues, but uh, at you know things like the economy, the border, energy independence. All those things. I think on those what I call classic Republican issues, on those alone, I think I can beat her because obviously Republicans are behind me. But I'm seeing more and more Democrats getting fed up with the border, getting fed up with the economy, getting fed up with five dollar and six dollar gasoline. I think she's beatable just on those points alone. But there's more. There's a whole list of issues that I call my 80% issues. These are the ones where anywhere from 70 to 90% of Americans feel in a certain way, you know, and that would include a majority of Republicans, in some cases even a majority of Democrats. On that long list of issues, Lois Frankel is on the wrong side of every single one. For example, she's against term limits. Uh, she voted uh, in uh, against uh, uh, work requirements for welfare. Uh, she's against school choice. She, she, a couple of years ago, voted uh, against a law that would make it a felony to uh, to attack a police officer. How can you vote against that? I think less than 20 members of Congress voted against that. And she did. She's very anti law enforcement, by the way. You know, when she was mayor of West Palm Beach, uh, that, what I've heard from police officers around here, she was de- defunding the police before there was defund the police. But a big one where she is definitely on the wrong side uh, is uh, Title IX. She voted against uh, measures that would strengthen Title IX to keep men and boys out of out of female sports, and uh, uh, that's another one where I think there's there's broad, somewhere north of eighty percent support in the in the U.S. That's an issue I think we're going to be talking about a lot more during this campaign because even your most hardcore liberal has a daughter or granddaughter. Or, or, or a niece or a friend or so on who plays sports, and they don't want that young lady to be trampled by some guy twice their size. And so I think that's one that's going to continue to be an important issue, because frankly, I don't know, I have not yet personally met a single person who thinks men should be playing in women's sports. Yet the Democrat Party's behind it. Lois Frankl certainly come out in favor of it. Um, you know, there's other stuff too. She also v- voted in favor of forced ESG investing. So, so, I mean, I could just go on and on and and people, and when I tell this to people, I say, why are you telegraphing your strategy, Dan? And my answer is, it doesn't matter. She's not going to change her stripes. She's going to become a conservative and say, you know. she's going to win. win." Yeah, she thinks uh, she's going to win. But on top of that, you know, she's not going to suddenly become pro-police or anti-YES. So
3: so basically money is going to be a big part of winning this, right? So you need some support, right? Where's the best place people can go?
1: Yeah, well, for sure, I need to raise a lot of funds. I felt, truthfully, I felt she was beatable last year, uh, even when we didn't have all these factors that I've been talking about during this interview. But what I didn't have, I didn't have the money to get my message out in the home stretch. Because he's just so bad on so many of these points and my views are so in line with what the voters in this district want so i do need to raise fund funding uh anyone watching this uh, interview if you're liking what you're hearing uh you can go to my website and and donate there my website is
4: dan4usa.com so-